Welcome to the moments that made me in association with the University of Hull. This is the podcast where we attempt to unpick and unpack the three most significant moments in the lives of this country's finest Olympic athletes, which have ultimately made them the people that they are today. Now, already we are in episode six. We've spoken to the likes of Ed Clancy, Pete Reed, Becky and Ellie Downey, Becky Adlington and Maddie Hinch, which, by the way, you can still listen to wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you to all of you who've left feedback and comments. It's safe to say that you've enjoyed these stories as much as I have. And with that in mind, please do rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Now, just a quick reminder that our next episode was recorded in June during lockdown, just to give you a little bit of context there. But this week's guest is one of the nicest men in all of Olympic sport. He's a double Olympic medalist with a lot of ups and a lot of downs. He's our sixth guest on the moments that made me in association with the University of Hull. I give you Latalo Mohammed. Now, Latalo, I'm going to break interview convention that's lasted for many, many, many decades. Normally, the host would introduce the guest, but I feel <laughs> the best person to introduce Latalo Mohammed is the man himself. So, Latalo, take it away. Well, uh, for those who don't know, my name's Latalo Mohammed. I am a taekwondo extraordinaire, so to speak. No, no, no. I am um, a double Olympic medalist. Uh, European champion, World Grand Prix champion, so uh, I've really experienced um, uh, the top in my sport, but I've also, I feel, uh, uh, had the rough end of the stick a few times, which I'm sure we're going to get into, but it's those rough times that really make you, so I'm more than glad uh, to be on the chat with Radzi today, man, I can't wait to get into it. <laughs> now, Latalia, I think we're going to have to go again, because before, when I've heard you introduce yourself, you don't say it so so humbly you don't pretend you're shy and retiring you go i'm world grand prix champion i'm Commonwealth champion european champion <laughs> no 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 we gotta keep it humble I mean... <laughs> good okay well we're also going to keep it academic so i'm going to start with five questions to test you to see how well you know yourself and a little bit about your career are you up for it of course i'm ready bring it on okay to the nearest 100 followers, what's your combined Twitter and Instagram following? 40,000? 35,400. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. okay, cool, cool. So I'm a little bit off. <laughs> but the rest is about your actual career on the mat. So this is the okay. way you come into your own. So question number two, you joined the GB Academy in 2011 and your first yes. major medal was gold in the European Championships. Who... Did you beat in the final, though? I beat Augustin Batter of France. Correct, sir. He's <laughs> back in the game. So you also got a very, very memorable Olympic bronze medal in London 2012, defeating Armenian Arman Yeremian. But what was the score? Ooh. I'm... That's hard, that's hard, that's hard. I think it was 9-6. How sure are you? Not very sure. <laughs> I just remember getting the bronze. That's it. I secured the medal. I got it. That's it. It was 9-3. Ah, okay. That's my four. It's all good. It's all good. I still got the medal. That's all that matters. And it's funny you remember your score. Is it yeah. your, your... Don't worry about him. Literally. Question number four. 
So Taekwondo was introduced to the Olympics in the year 2000, and Team GB since then have won six medals. But where does that leave them in the overall Taekwondo medal tally? That would probably put us fifth overall. It's joint sixth. Ah, close. close. Okay, okay. But that goes to show uh, what a tremendous rise we've had in our sport, doesn't it? I mean, the, you know, a Korean martial art, a Korean sport, for, for, for Team GB to be the top six ever, I think it's just a testament to the, uh, to the amazing run we've had in the last couple of years. Absolutely. And you've made a contribution to that yourself with two medals. And That's a I cannot blessing. wait to talk to you about that. But the final question... <laughs> About Latela Mohammed is, you're from Walthamstow in East London, so just up the road from the Olympic Park where the London 2012 Olympic Games was. But the question is, to the nearest point one of a mile, how far from your parents' house to the Olympic Stadium is it? 6.9 miles. <laughs> and that's a complete guess. Now, I hope we've got the correct door. We've got it as 2.9 miles. Oh my gosh. So wow. either the cardio gains are going really badly right now, or your geography's <laughs> really out. <laughs> wow. Where are you now, by the way? I'm in Manchester right now. Uh, that's where the world-class uh, centre is based, so it's where I do most of my training. And how's lockdown been for you? I've been the lockdown in London with my family. Uh, so it was really good to kind of go back to the basics, do some training with my dad. Uh, so, yeah, it was, um, I think um, it, was, it was positive in that sense. I feel like for you personally, this is a more positive experience than a negative one in that it gives you another year to overcome your injury and get yourself ready to, for selection for Tokyo. It's a, a, an opportunity to get more experience, get more ring time, uh, more time to get fully fit and fully healthy and uh, to hopefully attack those games next year. It's exciting to hear that you actually are so upbeat about this because some people might have trepidation and nerves towards something like that, but you can tell by the smile on your face that this is, this is what's meant to happen for you. I'd be a veteran of two Olympic Games and to still be in my 20s is um, it's a major blessing for me. So uh, I can think about this next Games almost like a business in a sense. And I, I know what to expect at every single phase of an Olympics, going all the way up to an Olympic final, which um, is really massive when you can tap into it. Uh, I think we're going to see something special next year and I, I, I honestly can't wait. And you mentioned still being in your 20s. Your yes. first win was as a junior at 16 years old and this podcast is all about the moments that made you and for you, yes. that moment came when you were 16 years old at the German Open. The German Open was at the time the biggest tournament uh, on uh, the competition schedule for a junior outside of the majors. Um, all the best in the world was going to be there. And I was going into that tournament really a rookie. It was uh, the biggest stage I'd been on and not much was really uh, expected of me. And I just remember in the tournament, just, uh, I kept going through the rounds. So I kept, you know, into the round of 16, into the quarterfinal, into the semifinal. And it didn't really dawn on me that I could win. It just, uh, until I reached the final, and I was just, uh, and it was just, I thought, okay, I just decided, all right, I'm going to win. I'm here, I may as well win. And I went on and it was a really tight battle. I think, he, I think he was the world number one at the time. And I ended up winning. And that tournament just gave me a new level of confidence because I knew now that I could not only mix it up with the best in the world, but I could um, beat them. And that uh, was a very formative year because it was 2008. 
and in 2008 it was also the Beijing Olympics and that uh, Olympics was such a special one um, uh, because Taekwondo we got our first ever medal Sarah Stevenson our um, you know our, 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 our OG <laughs> of, uh, of GB Taekwondo uh, first ever uh, four time world champion um, first ever medal she delivered for GB and really um, um, took was the one that took the program to where it is today and gave us set that foundation so obviously we have to pay respect to Sarah Stevenson and um, I think it really helped that that Olympics was such a spectacular one in Usain Bolt winning three gold medals Michael Phelps winning eight gold medals it was just such a superb Olympics I remember the opening ceremony and winning uh, the biggest tournament on the circuit compounded by that Olympics just being such so visual and so great and I'd been having this Olympic dream for so long anyway um, uh, since 2000 so I was eight years into my Olympic dream and that year just I think it just created what you see in front of you today um, that's where that year the, um, the confidence of being able to go to a tournament and expecting to win um, uh, really um, GB having a great Olympics in 2008 knowing that I was at that standard and knowing that the next one was going to be in London it just I think fast tracked my life in a way to uh, uh, to where we are today so yeah that moment when I was 16 years old it all started with that and um, and a reason why uh, that I think is one of my formative moments is really uh, what happened in the final I, I decided I was going to win. So I think that tournament was one of the ones that really taught me about the power of the mind and the power of making a decision and almost just walking into that decision because, um, as you know, you made jokes at the start um, about how uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, afraid to express uh, my victories, I'm, uh, you know, or, um, or my achievements. And I think that sense of pride in what I've been able to do in uh, uh, in my career is because I decided I was going to do those things before they actually happened. That tournament really taught me the power of the mind and the power of making decisions. Uh, and you know, we know it's sports psychology today. We, um, you know, if you look at Serena Williams and Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt, all the very best in their craft, um, they always seem to know, uh, uh, you know, in advance. And that really is a. It's not. It's not um, uh, uh, anything mystical uh, or, or it's not any David Blaine stuff. It's really just the power of the mind. And, um, you know, I really want to express that to people watching this podcast today, uh, especially any young athletes coming up, uh, maybe just starting to get some good junior performances or moving up to the senior ranks. You know, the, um, the, the mind is, I think, the most undertrained thing in all of sports we focus so much on you know uh getting my times uh, to a certain standard or you know i need to get to this height or i need to um i need to do this or i need to score this many points or blah blah but we don't spend also i need to lift this much or run this fast but we spend very little time focusing on this what has allowed me to um experience um massive success in taekwondo um wasn't just you know having you know a uh, great physical talent obviously i have that but when you get to an olympics so do 15 other men in the category who are all budding for that one gold medal we can all kick and punch when you get to the top level what's going to decide the um 
I believe the men that occupy that podium and especially the one that occupies that number one spot is the person who uh, has trained their mind to the best of their ability. That's um, what I've experienced time and time again in my career and I'm a strong believer in that. Thank you. Well, let, you know, let's jump straight to it. Let's jump to another moment that made you Rio 2016. Can you, can you tell us, first of all, so you get on the plane with Team GB, you go out to Rio. What was that process like? Where did you go? Where did you land? Where did you kind of acclimatise? What happened? Rio, the preparation for it wasn't uh, uh, as great as it could have been. Um, uh, that was really the first time I uh, started to have some trouble with injuries. Uh, it was almost a bit lastminute.com <laughs> with, the, uh, with some of the, uh, the preparation. So getting to Rio, landing to Rio, first of all, was uh, just a massive sense of relief <laughs> that uh, I'd made it. Although I'd done all the qualification stuff just um, with, that, with that last uh, little injury. So um, we landed in Belo Horizonte, which was the holding camp for Team GB. And uh, yeah, as per usual, Team GB probably do the best job of any team. Uh, I'm not just saying that because I'm on this podcast, but just keeping it real <laughs> of making sure that, you know, our preparation is amazing and, uh, you know, we're made to feel at home straight away. And, you know, the team's always great. So um, you meet people from other sports and, you know, that's, you know, that whole kind of Olympic feeling really starts there. And um, so, yeah, uh, training was going amazing. Uh, I was, uh, you know, loving meeting some of the local people as well. And I think the difference... Um, between this game, this, these games and the last ones is uh, I had experienced um, uh, um, being on the podium before and I knew what that felt like and I knew what it felt like to um, now stand to face the national anthem and to see another man hearing his national anthem, a grown big fighting man dropped to absolute tears of joy and he's shaking on the podium and I just remember being on that third place podium so I was the uh, first third place and he's just right in front of me and I was thinking wow I need to wait four years just for an opportunity to feel what he's feeling right now is that that <laughs> as weird as that sounds that's probably one of the most uh like prominent moments from 2012 uh, although you know it was amazing winning my own medal it was just that was the first time my, my first time seeing what a gold medal must feel like and I was thinking wow okay next time it's you know <laughs> we're making this happen so that was definitely the attitude uh, for that games I you know I'd beaten my injury I'd, um, I was fit I was healthy I was ready to go and I was really going in there with a confidence of that I could do it yeah, I felt I felt amazing. Uh, everything was going my way, and everything just seemed to be destined toward um, winning that gold medal. Um, I'd arguably arguably beaten the the favorite in the semi final, so I was really going into the final looking like um, the gold medal was uh, you know was was uh, already around my neck. I didn't feel that way, but um, there was there was a sense of it I, I could I could feel the aura I was definitely the favorite because I'd been fighting the best that day I'd beaten the best people and uh, in the final you know I um I felt good I felt like I had him in control uh um and fast forward to the last round fast forward to the last 10 seconds I'm in the lead I have a you know by taekwondo 
um, uh, standards. A uh, not not super comfortable, but I've got a decent lead. I think a two point lead, and um, uh, uh, ten seconds to go. I remember the the crowd um, uh, shouting down nine, eight, seven, and I'm there. I'm dancing. I'm not. I'm, I'm not even really thinking about winning yet because I know it's still a fight. And I think there was a break or something, and it was on like three, two, and I heard the one, and I didn't. I didn't look at the clock or anything. I just remember hearing one, and the crowd already started cheering. And, and I'm still there, I'm still there, the fight's still going on. And I remember thinking like, this is the longest, uh, one second, what's going on? <laughs> it, was, it, it, just, it just seemed like it was going on forever. Because I remember it just, um, the, the chant was finished and it was still going on forever and I was still in the fight. And obviously within that, um, uh, that, that moment, he, uh, he scored and the gold medal was gone. Um, and obviously at the time, I just remember... It was such a, I guess, a powerless feeling, knowing that it was over, not, not, you know, it was completely over, and there was nothing I could do, and it, that that was it. And as as simple as that sounds, it was a very, very tough pill to swallow, and it was just such a lonely feeling, even though I was in a stadium, ten thousand people packed. This was the the premier event of Taekwondo, you know that at the time and uh, so it was a packed stadium tens of thousands of people and I just felt like I was by myself Uh, (laughs) a a very very cold and lonely feeling and obviously um, uh, well some of the people watching this may have seen the interview that happened that was just a few moments afterwards and the emotion I showed in that interview was just really how I was feeling. There just wasn't any time to put on a filter or to, you know, go pretend that I felt that I was okay with it. I, in that moment at that time, that's how I genuinely felt. I felt like I'd, um, you know, I'd blown it. I felt like I'd let, um, you know, my supporters down. I felt like I, you know, I had, uh, I was getting a lot of um, great messages of support and you know, people I knew back at home were staying up late, especially to watch this final because we were on Brazil time. I believe it was showing about 3 a.m. So, you know, I, and I was cognizant of that. So I, I just felt like I'd really let myself down and uh, I guess really let uh, let GB down uh, in a way. I know it sounds very dramatic, but in that moment when you've just lost an Olympic final, you know, uh, it, that that's how it feels. So it really it really was a down moment, and obviously then I had to go on the podium again and see the same uh, gold medal or big big uh, tall man breaking down with absolute joy that he's done it that he's achieved it for himself and for his nation, and he's gonna go home a national hero now. So that I I would be lying to you today if I said that was comfortable for me. And even going back to that now in my memory, now it, you know it doesn't even invoke some emotion. Just thinking about that, like oh man, that was a really sad uh, time. However, um, what I'm most grateful for was waking up the next morning and seeing that the sun was still shining. <laughs> you know, the birds were still chirping. Uh, you know, life goes on. Um, you know, uh, I spoke to my parents. 
and they were very proud of me and uh, I, you know I was doing some interviews and uh, uh, and life goes on you know so uh, it's and I think one of the biggest lessons 2016 taught me is that uh, you know I knew it was okay to lose but it's it's okay to be it's okay to feel sad it's okay to kind of let uh, get that um, those sad moments out and you know it's okay to um, not hold it in uh, believe it or not Radzi I'm not really uh, a super super what I would say emotional person in the sense of um, what you saw at the interview me breaking down into tears is probably maybe one of only three or four times that I can remember crying as an adult man so I just kind of I guess the lesson that taught me is that uh, it's okay you you uh, you don't have to be um, crying or getting out some emotion um, you can still be a very masculine or tough guy but um, everyone has their moments and if something uh, if if what feels like something traumatic happens to you, it's um it's okay to let that emotion out. Mine just happened to be on TV, just, <laughs> just because of the uh, the format uh, in which uh, you know that emotional trauma happened. But um, I was able to get past it very quickly. You know, literally in twenty four hours, I got to see the uh, you know the literally the bright side of life. We're in a beautiful location. We're in Brazil. Um, yes, I didn't get the gold. I remember thinking at the time, but hey, I did. I gave it my best. I gave it my best effort, and um, uh, and and that's what and and that's what it is. And hey, there's worse thing. There's worse things in life in quote unquote failing and still landing on an Olympic silver medal. So I'm very proud of um, how Rio went, um, uh, and you know I'm able to look past it. And I really think it's it's um, it, you know that was an important lesson for me because. I don't think it could ever really... I don't think it's possible to experience a more painful loss. For the most painful losses, you can bounce back. You can bounce back. You can uh, You can still look forward. You can set new goals. Life goes on. And you can always, even out of your most painful um, uh, defeats that feel like it has knocked the wind out of you, there's always good things to extract from them. And, and right now... Razi, I'm at a stage in my career where, well, I have been for a very long time, to be very honest. I look at my losses as the biggest opportunities to grow. So, uh, and unfortunately, the hard losses, the ones that are back to an emotion, are usually the ones where we can learn the most from because they made you feel that pain. So, if you can use that pain and turn it back into, okay, I never want this to happen again because <laughs> it felt that painful. What can I learn from? What can I learn from it? How can I upgrade my style? What new um, uh, moves can I do? How can I tighten up my defense? Um, how, how, what um, safe kicks can I do so if I'm if I'm ever in that situation again, I know exactly what to do. That for me is real growth, uh, and unfortunately, it can take pain. Uh, well, usually it takes pain. Uh, to grow and uh, that that was my version in my sport and uh, you know and that's why I think I've been able to be so positive about it is because you know I see it for what it is it was a loss and um, as long as I can extract some learning from it then um, uh, I'll be all the better for it 
and now I feel even better prepared to go on and deliver um, a gold medal because of what happened in, in Rio so um, there's silver linings so to speak to every situation and that's how I look back on uh, I say Rio 2016. Thank you for sharing that with us like for no me problem, watching no that back there was um you had your interview with Nick Hope which is yes I kind of put that moment as up there of a Derek Redmond in 92 <laughs> yes. being on the track because that was sport transcended the event sport transcended what it is two men competing in a martial arts to try their best and win it was so much more than that you could see the truth coming out and then actually there's a point in the interview the moment that you really break down is when you're about to say i've got to wait four more years and it was a stream of consciousness that just came out and when i when i listened to it it was it was it was just so pure and you you seldom get to see that in defeat you often see it in victory where people let themselves go and then talk about how difficult the journey has been but in defeat it was just every single person with a heart and a pulse would say wow that is the power of sport right there but the other thing about it was we just seen two polarizing pictures We'd seen one of absolute devastation, devastation, dejection. You're stood there. Your head couldn't have been hung any lower. And then we have Cissé of the Ivory Coast. Yep. And yep. this pure euphoria of him and his coach running around. Yep. But the kind of lasting legacy of that in his country has been one that I guess, in a way, you can actually be proud of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, for me, is the what Cissé's win has done for Africa has been incredible. First um, uh, gold medal for the Ivory Coast in the Olympics. Uh, first um, uh, African Taekwondo gold medal. And the response in his country, you know, he's, uh, there, was, there was massive parades, you know, in the streets. Uh, and as a result, we've now seen the continent of Africa become a serious player in, in Taekwondo. So we're seeing the growth of Taekwondo in a region where um, uh, it needed a boost and it certainly got one. So uh, when I look at the situation there, I can be very honest and say, you know, um, uh, that looked like it was just meant to be. Or at, le at, the very, at the very least, I can see it's been a massive positive, um, not just for Cissé and the Ivory Coast and his family and, um, uh, and his life, but for uh, the entire continent. And, uh, and that's an incredible thing to see. And um, I'm, yes, like you said, I'm certainly very proud to see that. I'm very happy to see that. Uh, and, you know, me, me and Cissé, you know, we, we were friends uh, before, <laughs> during and after <laughs> our, our final. Some people think that we're, you know, like, we're, we're worst of enemies or something like that. So, <laughs> no, 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 you must be crazy. Me and Cissé have always been cool. And uh, we were hanging out after the final, actually. So, you know. Um, uh, literally the next day we're hanging out in the the Olympic Village so um, I'm, I'm always very happy to see him do well and um, uh, uh, we're, in, we're in different weight divisions now so now I can fully root for him and he can fully root for me I know I heard he's getting fat in the Ivory Coast so he might be coming out to heavyweight too <laughs> I'm going to have to cut that out and send that to him. 
let's go back four years to your third moment that made you. Being a boy from Walthamstow, as we established at the start, yeah. you are, yeah. people talk about London as being one, if you like, community. But the reality is, London is an enormous city. And whether you're from the north, that's very different to somebody from the south. East, very different <laughs> to the west. But For where, real. Right. And where you come from, it really is a home Olympics in every sense of the word. Absolutely. So, 2005, the announcement happens that it's going to be an Olympic Games in London. London have won the bid. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It was. I was extremely excited, but probably more excited as, oh, okay, it'll be fantastic. It's only in London. We'll be able to go get tickets. In fact, that's exactly what the attitude was. Like, be easy to get tickets, and yeah, that turned out to be wrong. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry, guys, but. Um, uh, uh, so we'll be able to go watch all the events. So it was kind of more as a spectator, I think I was thinking. Then I just remember through the years, uh, I'd ride up on my bike on that 2.6 mile bike ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, with some of my friends, actually, I remember seeing the scaffolding and it kind of being uh, built throughout the stages. And it was just like, I guess a vision or a dream that, wow, imagine what that's going to be like. That would be so crazy. Can you even imagine uh, going to the Olympics in London? Wow. But it was more from a, uh, like, a, that, uh, that's so ludicrous. Uh, it's probably not going to be me, but that's going to be amazing for whoever it is. And uh, I don't know. We, we, I'll, just, I'll just keep doing that. I'll just keep riding uh, up to it and the scene it being built throughout the stages, it was just kind of fascinating to me. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, would, I would do that uh, pretty often. Fast forward now to when, um, uh, t- to 2012, I'm in the academy uh, at this stage. So I'm in the setup. So the, the dream is, is real. And um, I got uh, the call to go and I just remember just feeling absolutely euphoric. I mean, I told my dad and my family and it was just like, wow, that's amazing, going to the Olympics. What I wasn't prepared for was, unfortunately, media backlash to my selection for the 2012 Games. Just a quick summary of the situation. Aaron, who, or Aaron Cook, I think he left on bad terms so uh, just before I came in he was already gone by the time I came in and at that point I didn't know what if it was his plan to go represent another country which he obviously eventually he did do the media backlash to you personally I imagine must have actually not only hurt you but hurt the people around you and I guess I I really wonder and I guess I think a lot of people listening would really want to know how that affects you a guy who's had the dream come true. You're going to an Olympic Games. It's your first Olympic Games. It's your home Olympic Games. But this is almost the stuff of nightmares. And it's now leaching out into your family as well. Absolutely. It definitely affected my family. There was definitely hate. There was definitely hate mail. Where, you know, some of it was, as you can imagine, very racist. Which um, I just remember thinking that's kind of crazy in 2012. But, you know, I guess here we are in 2020. But anyway, at the time I was... Um, uh, I guess it made me very jaded. Um, well, not for, well, yeah, just um, or I just kind of felt um, pretty isolated. Um, I didn't the, the, the you know unfortunately, I in a sense kind of bought in a little bit to uh, some of the 
the constant media barrage that maybe the country wasn't behind me and um, uh, maybe um, uh, you know maybe there was genuine hate out there for me so I really didn't know what to expect as a matter of fact we um, uh, we prepared um, uh, by doing some of our tests some of our test matches in the gym we had a loudspeaker and some of them had jeers and boos ready so I could be mentally prepared to potentially be being booed in my home city, in my hometown like you said, literally just around the corner from where I grew up so there was really a feeling of um, yeah, I didn't know what to expect Um, uh, so um, I'm really, really happy to say that uh, when I uh, went out there to compete the response I received was terrific and, um, you know, it was wonderful. And, it, you know, so I'm now able to uh, go back with amazing memories from competing at London 2012. But up until that moment, Rad, you got to understand, we were completely unsure of the response I was going to receive. So um, we literally... Is it scary? Not scary, in a sense, but it definitely did feel like I was just operating in my own lane that um uh so almost maybe a little bit isolated and we did kind of um you know isolate in a sense obviously being in the training camp and um didn't want to uh um you know to risk um uh, putting myself out there too much to you know potentially leave myself open really didn't know what to expect from um, uh, from the audience and what the reception was going to be but I'm so happy that it was overwhelmingly positive and the noise by the way the noise inside that arena when they announced your name not only was it not negative in the slightest it was deafening it, oh my goodness I mean I'll tell you one thing Raz the first um, time I walked out so for the first match of the day the noise like you said was so loud and deafening I remember I leaned over my shoulder to speak to my coach and I said like wow it's so loud in here and I couldn't hear the sound of my own voice <laughs> that's how loud it was I kid you not that that first um uh, that first uh, walking out it was just like a puncture of sound in both ears I couldn't believe how loud it was and um yeah uh, uh, but thankfully all throughout that period I'd been speaking uh, and in contact with some ex like kind of GB um, uh, gold medalists from the past and they all told me like you've been you know to Europeans you've been to world championships and you think uh, you know Olympics is just another tournament so they told me it's different and nothing can nothing's nothing's quite like an Olympics and it was that moment that that unbelievably loud sound uh, that's when it fully set in on me, like, oh, there's nothing like an Olympics. <laughs> Let's go, baby. <laughs> yeah, right. And so the way it works with Taekwondo, it's quite interesting in that with football, you meet, you reach the semifinals, and that m- may guarantee you a bronze medal in football, or you may have to have a third-place playoff. In Taekwondo, it's different. You enter the rapid charge dependent upon who you lost to. If you lose to the people that meet in the final. So you lose to Garcia of Spain in London. You now have a second chance, but the pressure is on. Do you do you remember the moment when you actually lost to him and how you felt at that particular time? Yeah, I was, I was obviously devastated um, because at that time, you almost feel like um, um, uh, you proved all, all those... 
I guess quote unquote haters, you know, if you're gonna call it that, kind of prove them right. Um, you know, you're giving them the best ammunition they could possibly hope for. That um, he's lost, like you mentioned earlier, we in take on that we have the repertoire system, which ultimately I think is a fairer system, which is dependent on who you lose to. So if you lose to an, any of the finalists, like you um, explained just there. I think that's a better system just because uh, many a time on the day um, uh, I think you can have what should be the final before the medals so you can have the best say number one fight number two in the first fight of the day and uh, whoever loses that maybe goes out with nothing but if that if the num if the person that w uh, wins that fight goes on to the final I do believe that person deserves an opportunity to get on the podium but anyway um, I felt you know, I felt down, I felt dejected, but when I went uh, to the, uh, you know, uh, back behind the ring, I actually wanted to, to stop, I was ready to, I, I didn't care, I'd only gone there to accomplish the gold medal, so um, I was that down, I was, I was gonna, I wanted to pull out, I was like, I ain't, I ain't interested, and two of my coaches um, uh, sat me down and just said, hey, we, we know that you're down, that you lost. But you need to put that out of your mind and you need to treat this bronze medal as your new gold medal. Getting this bronze medal is now your gold medal. So you need to do everything you can. And as simple as that sounds, Rad, it, it just clicked something in my brain. And this is what I'm talking about, the power of making a decision and some my I just they said that and I just heard my inner voice say, "Okay, because there's no way we're gonna lose twice on one day." I was like, "Okay, cool," and that was it. And I had to the uh, the first fight of the repechage was against four-time world champion, um, um, you know, one of the heavy favorites, if not probably the heavy favorite going in uh, to the fight. And uh, so on paper, a fight that. You know, um, uh, I I probably wouldn't have been the favourite in. I went and dealt with him, and you know, as we mentioned in the um, uh, the opening questions or challenge, uh, I beat uh, Armenia nine three to accomplish the bronze medal, and that was again just kind of tapping into that uh, the mentality. I'm a firm believer in when you make a a conscious decision and accept nothing else as an option in your brain more often than not you'll get it and if you don't you'll probably come very 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 close and be proud of yourself anyway so um, that really is my you know my mentality and you know the reason why I think all of those moments uh, have been so formative is because I've learned something uh, which I believe has either uh, either changed me or just kind of backed up some very strong beliefs that I've had and uh, I use that as now like as an anchor of you know I know I know this works because I've been here before and I kind of tap into that and as you know I'm able to um, uh, uh, continue and um, uh, because I, I, I've got that experience to tap into and um, yeah yeah and l literally that that's really what I would say um, uh, to to young athletes in particular some of your losses they can feel so devastating but life goes on and so then so should you 
and they're only losses if you don't learn from them. Um, you know, we spoke about some some really high pressure situations, some very very painful losses, uh, and some really good moments too. But in all honesty, it it's the pain. It's for it's for feeling like it's like feeling like completely alone, feeling uh, lonely. It's those really hard losses that almost <laughs> test your will those are the ones where you learn something from and honestly those are the ones that i'm most grateful for because those moments those really low periods are how i've been able to bounce back and be stronger than ever and uh, have a mentality that is just rock solid so um what i would say to young athletes embrace those moments as hard as it is uh, embrace those moments see them as a part of the journey and how i see it the more you know bumps in the road the more like beautiful that last chapter is going to be that that ends when you're on top uh, uh in spite of everything of what you've been through all those hard moments it's going to make the victory even sweeter so just uh just persevere just keep going you know fall down seven times get up eight all that stuff just uh just keep on going keep learning keep moving forward and at, at the end of the day no matter what the outcome is, you'll be proud of yourself and you can never, ever, ever, um, you know, you can't discount that, that that feeling of uh, knowing that you've given it your absolute best effort and good will always come from that. I'm such a firm believer in that. Natalia, final question. I think I know the answer here. There's one thing we love in Britain more so than somebody who wins. It's an underdog who wins. It's somebody <laughs> Absolutely. who's been through the mill to get there. So London 2012, bronze medal. Rio 2016, silver medal. Yes, sir. Tokyo 2021, what's it going to be? I'm going to let you say it. <laughs> Gold medal. <laughs> Gold medal, baby. Gold medal. But um, it's honestly been a really, really enjoyable conversation. Your Thank honesty, you. I think, to tell the story behind the story is what's really going to hopefully resonate with people. And hopefully that will just mean that come Tokyo 2020, you basically have a documentary that means that <laughs> as Britain, we just go, yes, that is our guy. Let's you're a busy guy, so I'll leave you to it. Thank you so much for your time. Stay healthy, stay safe, and see you in Tokyo. Thank you, man. I'm going to see you there. Take care. And that there was Letelo Mohammed. A real, true sports personality and also just one of life's really nice guys who also happens to be world-class in his sport. And I tell you what, how special would it be for a country we love underdogs to have the fairy tale finish of bronze in his home Olympics 2012, silver, desperately close in 2016, but gets the job done and takes home the gold in Tokyo next year. Good luck, Letelo. And I tell you what, if anyone can do it, Letalo Cam. Well, if you enjoyed that, please do rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. But also be sure to join us next week for someone who has managed to get that Olympic gold medal. She did it back in Sydney 2000, unbelievably 20 years ago. That was in the heptathlon. I'm, of course, talking about the super athlete, the super mum with a super story, Denise Lewis. It's not to be missed. See you then.